welcome to Post Turkey Day. All right, everybody have a good Thanksgiving. So did 163 other people, thanks to your giving and everybody else for the meals this, uh, around, the, um, around our area. So we're thankful to God for that. Let's stand up and let's worship the Lord here today.
ask you to just sit right down right now. We're going to um, celebrate today is our first Sunday in Advent, the countdown to Christmas. And today our theme um, for Advent is hope. We hear that word and we think of positivity or wishful thinking. But hope is something different. It's greater, it's better, and it's more. Hope is choosing to wait for God to bring His goodness into our lives. It's remembering His faithfulness in our past and trusting His plans for our future. Hope rises when we encounter the light that shatters the darkness and when the long-awaited Messiah makes his home with us. It's an invitation for every person, and it's here now, because Jesus is here now. This is hope. So for the next several weeks, we'll be lighting candle for each of those. We got four more, and then on Christmas Eve, we will light the Christ candle, and uh, hard to believe we're here, right, uh, already for this time of year, but um, we're all good and ready to celebrate uh, the, the holiday season and give God praise. All right? Here you go, Joanna. Yep, you're up. Oh, show the video. everybody. <laughs> Y'all good. Um, the Sunday school gang, I was told to tell them they can go ahead and go to Sunday school. So we'll see y'all later, Gators. Have fun. 
No wild craziness, okay? Um, and doesn't this place look beautiful? They came in and decorated it. It just looks amazing. We have a great team. Um, I have a couple things um, I want to shout out. We have our annual Dining for Women Christmas dinner party. And Miss Judy, would you please stand up and wave at everybody? This is Miss Judy. She's our host. Please see her and let her know what dish you're bringing and that you're coming, okay? Um, there's an announcement in your bulletin with all the details. Um, bikes, we are kicking butt with the bikes, guys. Uh, just more appeared here, and we have three more being repaired and several bought. So we are really going to fill some hearts this year. So thank you. If anybody else has ones to donate, bring them to the church by next Sunday. We will get them fixed also. Um, stockings for soldiers, we are at 50 plus. We're over halfway, and I have a ton of stuff to fill some more. So we are kicking butt on our stockings for our soldiers. Um, also today, we have a couple birthdays. Bobby Burke, and she laughed. She just knew I would shout out, so shout out Bobby and Nancy. It is Nancy's birthday. Um, but we want to say a very special prayer for Nancy because she lost her pet of 15 years this week, and that's kind of a tough thing to go through. So, Nancy, we got you in prayers. Got you in prayers. Um, Chuck Ewing had sent in a request for his brother, Michael Allen, who was diagnosed with stomach cancer. So we want to lift that family and keep them in prayer. Karen is going to be having some testing for thyroid cancer. So we pray that those are all negative. And I really had a funny request today at the front door. I, it tickled me. <laughs> Could we pray for all the mean people in the world? I won't mention any names, <laughs> but I thought that was rather cute, so I thought I'd do a shout out. Let's pray for those mean, angry, no fun people. Um, Robin Hildebrand has put in a request, prayers for Daniel Hildebrand's future. Um, that is her um, son, stepson, um, and he's struggling with some things, and we really hope that he's blessed and can find his way back to Jesus. Um, Bill Wiggum for Pat Wiggum. She is on hospice now. Um, pray for her and her family. And Donna also had the passing of her cousin Gail and that God would be with her daughters and her grandkids. So that family's experienced a lot of loss. So we want to give keep them lifted in prayer. Um, and did everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving? Got to hang out with all the people you love. And the one that you don't love. There's one in every family. Come on, admit it. Um, anyway, we are going to just go to God in prayer. Hands on your knees. Give it all to God. What did you give him this morning when your feet touched the floor? All those things on our heart. We need to give to God because God gives us answers. He hears our every cry. He shows mercy on us. He gives us grace. Sometimes we're just torn in our hearts and we don't know what to do next. Give it to God and he'll guide you. The times when the load is heavy, when the list of to-do is longer than you can imagine, just give it to God. Sit down one minute. Give it to God. He will direct you. He will lead you. And now lift your hands to God to receive his glory, receive his grace, and receive his answers to your prayers. 
So often we don't open our ears to hear, but God is with us always. Open your ears, hear where he's guiding you, and take those steps. I ask God to be with Pastor Jack today as he gives us his message. I know there's a lot of unnamed prayers in this room. I, I pray for you. And I think we all, this week reminds us of how thankful, thankful we should be as we have more than most. And in Jesus' name we pray and thank him. Amen. Turkey made us Pentecostal. I don't know. No, I'm all of a sudden, but it's all good. Um, so, wow. I, for, I, the, it makes those old boring ones don't mean anything, huh? We have people dancing, and wow. Okay. Pray for Ron. No? <laughs> all right. So, that's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, I should just pronounce the benediction because I don't have anything better, and we'll just move on. But, um, but God does. All right. Everybody having fun? You like this time of year? A lot of people don't. So a lot of people are depressed. We want to definitely continue to pray for people depressed. We just need to play that song and have send Joanna to their house, and we'll be good. But um, that's right. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a conga line around the church by, um, which is really cool because um, as I was looking at the original series that I had planned, um, I had uh, we had two weeks left because um, remember Christmas is on um, on Sunday this year, so we won't be here. Um, we're going to be celebrating with our families and others, and we will have our Christmas Eve service, and that's 7:30 on uh, the 24th. And uh, we always have a good time there. It's a family family time. Last year was the first year after COVID, so I had a whole bunch of little kids, and um, I still have not recovered.
recovered yet from it, um, and I don't think they have either. But, um, but we always have a, have a good opportunity to just celebrate um, Christmas Eve. But one of the things, since we only had two more weeks, um, what I decided to do um, is add a couple more names to God. So we're going we're gonna to use this as the series to finish out, out the year, and, um, and so I'm kind of excited about that because it's really hard to cut down the names, and so now we get to add a couple more. But we are in this uh, uh, series on the names of God. Hello, my name is God. And we're talking about different names in, primarily in the Old Testament um, that are names that are attributed to God. So we're, we're looking at that. Again, uh, for the ladies, make sure um, they always have a really good time. December 9th is when they're going to have um, dining with women at Judy's house. So make sure you go ahead, connect to that. Um, stockings for, or stockings, sacks bags, whatever they are, for soldiers. Um, good job. Uh, if you want to go ahead to connect, please go ahead. Continue to do that. So much stuff going on and really excited about all the things that are here. And it's really weird this time of year getting to the point of going, hey, it's Christmas time. And um, it didn't, wasn't it just like 70 degrees and stuff like that, you know, nice. But I, I just hope it's not like it was a couple of years ago when we had Christmas Eve. We walked outside and it was like 75. That was just really weird up here, you know. Give me Florida. I can deal with it. But up here, nah. Um, I'll, I'll take the cold here. But anyway, so again, we've been going through these names and, um, and looking at different things. And one of the things that we were say, saying is the main reason to do this is because the names of God come in a way where you get different attributes of God as well through the names. When you, when you know someone by name and you know like even nicknames or you have pet names for people, that means you know them intimately. You know something more about them. And um, and so uh, many families, that's all they do. They have, they have nicknames for everybody, right? They just give people all kinds of nicknames. And so um, that means it, it's a closer thing like that. But it's really important, and it's really important to go through these names to discover the attributes of God in just some other areas because, uh, because when we do that, yes, we get to know God more. But the other thing is, and I've said this several, several times, is that we all have an opinion of God, and it's always 100% wrong. We always have a lot of God that's wrong. We have some things that are right, but we all have a different um, view, image, thought of God that is shaped from either our history or how we grew up or, you know, just whatever, what we've seen in the culture. And we all relate, whether we like it or not, we relate Jesus to, and, and we relate God to a, a, with an Americanized mindset, correct? Um, I, think we're, I think we're pretty sure that Jesus was not blonde hair and blue eyes. He was from the Middle East. I think we can pretty much bet on that, although much of our art depicts that. Um, time and time again. So what I'm saying is we attach things to God based off of who we are and our culture. And so, but the thing is, why is that important? I don't think God's furious about that, but I think we can learn more about not what God is or looks like exactly, but apart um, some of his nature, because God is bigger than any box we could ever put him in. And so we need to go ahead and figure that out. Now, today's term is probably the most famous compound word um, or name for God. It's one that many people know, Jehovah Jireh, because of an old song that went, Jehovah Jireh. My, anybody remember the song? My provider. Um, and it's very, has that kind of like uh, Middle Eastern flavor um, to it today. Uh, but one, one of the things I wanted to do is we want to look at that. And many of us know this as Jehovah Jireh means provider. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. But before we get further into that, last week, um, 
we were I was talking about how um, we all I always have related to this how we always have something in our mind and yet it doesn't come out that the way we planned and I was talking about Pinterest failed or nailed it those shows and it didn't make it so I thought today I'd start with those since it's after Thanksgiving and you can see some of these things where people intended to do something started and it didn't turn out the way they thought all right so we're going to just show a couple of these let's go ahead this one right here here we go how many had deviled eggs this year at Thanksgiving how many made them look like this anybody try to make them look like this? Okay. How many think you can do that? All right. You ready? Here's how this person did. Yeah. Not too good. All right. All right. <laughs> all goes down the same way, right? Okay. All right. Next one. Aren't they cute? Who didn't like cookie monster uh, cupcakes there? That's, that's awesome. All right. Let's see what this person did with it. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Not good. Right. <laughs> Looks like Sesame Street was near a nuclear power plant, you know what I mean? All right, next one. Uh, right, I mean, pancakes. Come on, isn't that cute? Isn't that great? Um, well, you won't see this at IHOP. There we go, there we go. All right. Um, not, hor- that's horrific. I mean, that's worse than a normal pancake. I mean, this person got major troubles. All right, let's look at this one here. All right, Chewbacca, how many Star Wars fans? I would have loved to have this cake when I was younger. Heck, I'd like to have it now. Right, Scott? We'd love to have this one. Here we go. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> looks like linguine, doesn't it, or something? You know, it's really weird. I don't know. All right, so that's bad. All right, looks like Chewbacca was already chewed. All right, next. Let's go to this next one here. All right, here we go. The last one. That's great. Disney. What? What little kid would not like one, a Disney cake, particularly? I know a lot of little girls like uh, Minnie Mouse, correct? All right. Um, you think you could do that for them? Yeah, let's take a look at what somebody did for their kid. Yeah, I mean, awful. <laughs> All right. Isn't, those are fails, right? And sometimes that's like how we are with God. We have, we have this idea of, oh, wow, that's how God is, and that's how we're going to relate when we come up with something completely different. All right. So today we are dealing with Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, God who provides. And, and again, um, you have your, your worship guide today and hopefully you'll be able to connect. And when we're talking about providing, I heard a story of a young woman who um, had gotten engaged uh, to a, a, a young man, a very young religious man who she met, um, met while away and uh, she was bringing him home to meet her parents. And so uh, he came in, and after dinner, her mother said to the father, said, hey, why don't you go check out a little bit more uh, this young man? He seems nice, but why don't you pull him alongside and just spend some, some male bonding time and kind of get to know him and tell me what you think. So the father invited him to study for an after-dinner drink and just some, just some conversation, some quick heart-to-heart. And he said, uh, you know, I, I hear that you and my daughter are planning on getting married. He said, yes, sir. And he said, you know, she's the apple of my eye. And he said, I can't just trust her with anybody. I mean, I've been responsible since God gave her to me. And the first question, young man, is, you know, I, I realize that you're, you're very religious, so you believe that she is a gift from God. And he said, you know, so um, what are your plans? And he said, well, you know, I'm a biblical scholar. And he said, oh, okay, a biblical scholar. He said, that's very admirable. You know, but how do you intend on providing for my daughter? And he said, well, I will study and God will provide. He said, okay, well, 
Um, I believe that. But, you know, how will you get a nice house for my daughter to live in? And like one she's accustomed to, nothing too much, nothing too little. Um, but how will you do that? And they, once again, he looked at him and he said, well, God will provide. And he wasn't satisfied with that response. He said, no, seriously, how do you intend to take care of my daughter? And, and when children come, how do, you, how do you plan to go ahead and do that? He said, well, once again, sir, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but God will provide. And this went on every question he began to ask. God will provide. God will provide. And so he realized he wasn't going to get a better answer. And so the two of them decided to go ahead and leave the room. And they had a, a decent night. And later that night, they, he, he left and, and went. And they, 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 he and his daughter, they left. He hugged her and kissed her, shook his hand. He left and went. And so the mother, uh, his wife says, so how did the talk go with uh, our daughter's husband-to-be? And he said, well... You know, he seems like a nice guy. Um, he said, the bad news is he's got no job and no prospects. The good thing is he thinks I'm God. <laughs> God will provide. God will provide. It took you a while, didn't it? All right, there we go. All right, when we look at Jehovah Jireh, God does provide. And, and um, some th really things in studying this week um, and, and preparing for this really have, have leapt out to me more, and I want to share those with you here today. But this is a compound name. We have Jehovah, which is the um, a translation of Yahweh. The first week we had Yahweh, which means I am, when God was asked by Moses, who shall I say sent me to release the uh, Israelites? And he said, tell them I am. I am who I am. That no matter what, I am. And you can go ahead and on our, on our app, and uh, you, the app, you can look at that there, or you can get on our website and go back and listen to that if you missed it. Um, but he, he is, and, and, you know, with I am, it's just the word. It's, there's no compound to it. It's just I am. And, and like with Elohim, which is another uh, version of, of God's name that is talked about in Genesis, it just means... Uh, it's, it's plural, and it means that they, they also create. It's the God who creates. It just is. God is. But when we use a compound like we did one week, El El Yon, which meant God Most High. Okay, it's about God and the Most High God. Or if we have, like we talked about last week, and I got lots of great feedback. Really, people really enjoyed last week's message, Jehovah Rapha, um, the healer. It's about the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who puts things back together. Um, that one. And, and Jehovah Jireh, as we're talking about today, he's looking at something in somebody's life. And he says, I am, he starts with that, God, I am the God who. And it's, it's a revelation. So if God is everything here, which he says I am, then he's also taking these attributes and these parts of life and saying, this is what I do. And so people name him because of what he does in the midst of their circumstances, how God unveils himself in different circumstances. And so we're going to go to a very uh, familiar section of scripture, Genesis chapter 22. For many, if you've been around church for a while, it's about a guy named Abraham. Uh, and we're going to talk about, we talked about him the other week. Um, but Basically, we have Abraham and his wife, Sarah. They were Abram and Sarai. God said to him, hey, we, I, he was in the uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. He was hanging out there. God said, I got a promised land that I want you to go to. So he calls him. He leaves, packs up, goes to the, to the promised land and has some journeys on the way. He's, he's older in age. And God tells him, I'm going to change your name from Abram 
which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many. And he said, well, that's funny because I have no, no kid. And then they have this whole thing with uh, Sarah and her maidservant. Hagar gives, says, go have a child for me, which she never does. It has Ishmael, creates the Middle East com, uh, conflict we have now. And you go through all this kind of stuff. But still, God had promised him a long, long time ago that he was going to give him a son. And when, he's, uh, when, when they're old in age, like really old, like, in, like older and like way past childbearing, hundreds and 190, 100 years old and 90 years old, she gives birth to a son named Isaac. And it is a miracle. Um, if I was 100 years old, I wouldn't look at it as a miracle. I would look at it as, God, what are you trying to do? You know, kill me in my old age. You could just do that. But, but it was a miracle for them. And this was a child of promise with Isaac that God was going to bless all the, Abraham with, and he was going to be the father of many nations. And as we go on further, we find out that people say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's a, it's a remembrance that goes on time and time again. So we're at this point where there, it's been about somewhere maybe 15 to 25 years since Isaac was born at this point. And that's what brings us to the scripture right here. And it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Stop. Last week, remember what we were talking about with tests is that God tests. Not, and, you know, I, I got to say, even I, I always thought of tests like God has given me an exam, then I pass or fail. But it's not that. I think the better interpretation is what we shared about last week is that we have uh, a diagnostic to tell us where we are so that we can do better not so that's like we pass or fail, but just so we can do better in life, in our faith and how we deal with God. And then, um, or we can also find out like tests that we have in, um, in medical field where we find out what's going on with us. Okay, that's one area. What's going on with us so we can, we can have those impurities cook out and we can be stronger in our faith. And developmental, how we can grow, what will make us better. And so that's, that's the test that God is giving him here. And it says this, he says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, to the region of Moriah. Okay, what are we doing, God? What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to go on a trip. And then God says, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I'll show you. I said, excuse me, God, I didn't hear that right. Right? This is the promise I waited a hundred years for. That basically, you promised me this, and then you waited 25 more years to happen. And then you're saying, you want me to do what? That's, what? that's what I would say. But he says, I want you to go to Moriah and to the mountain that I will show you. So it, this is a big test, correct? This is a major test. God is testing Abraham in a very devastating way. He says this, he says, I want you to go to a mountain and I want you to worship me. As in the custom of the day, I want you to worship me because in the custom of the day, in order to worship me, you have to sacrifice. And so guess what? Today, you're going to sacrifice your son, Isaac, whom you love to death. I want you to take your Isaac. I want you to take the thing that you, you love the most, the thing that you cherish the most, the thing that you're most excited about, the thing that you waited longest for, the, the, the thing that, that you, you just dreamt about and thought it was never going to happen. And now that you've had him for about 15 to 25 years, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Remember how God's name, I said, the compound comes in the situations of life? Like when you're going through something. So let's look at this test. It's a theological test because God told Abraham, I'm going to make... Uh, 
make of your son Isaac a great nation. And now he's saying, wait, no, I want you to take him out. Isaac is a teenager, late in his teens or 20s. When this happens, he's not married. He has no children. Yet God says, kill him. Now, wait a second. You promised. I, I, you know, I came all the way from home down here, went through a lot of stuff, and now you're telling me you're going to kill him? That would be some of the questions I would have. And you can see that Abraham's concern may be like, how's this going to happen? How's it going to be? How's the blessing of nations going to come from him if he's dead? That's a good question. Don't you think so? You know why? Because dead people don't make children. Correct? And so he's got to be asking this question. And guess what? He didn't have any yet. So he's got to be asking major questions. But God, you know what this is? God, it doesn't make sense. Does this make sense to you? How many look at this story now, thousands and thousands of years later, and say, wow, this really makes a lot of sense? It doesn't to me, and it rarely does. I don't, I don't see it as being something that's, that's a fantastic thing, and there's a lot of contradictions in this. Contradictions, there's a theological condition, um, contradiction where God's instructions go against the promise that he said. God says, hey, you're going to be, this is where the blessing of many nations come from. Oh, by the way, go kill him. You're like, what? That's a contradiction. Or he's facing, think about this, Abraham's facing a social crisis. That he's supposed to, he says, I'm going to make your name great. Why are you going to make my name great? I'm 100, almost 120 years old. And how in the world am my name going to be great now when I'm not going to have any children and, and grandchildren? And, and how, why did you change my name? That's a big, that's a big deal. Imagine what the community would think about him. Abraham has lost his mind. That kid he prayed for, that miracle, he went and killed him. Wow, he has lost it. We need to lock him up. You better, you better go find Sarah. What about a relational crisis? You can read through all the scripture. He never tells Sarah at all this happened. He never tells mom. You know, can you imagine this? He goes home and he says, hey, um, hey, Sarah, uh, I just want to let you know, you know, that when you laughed about this, we named him Isaac because you thought it was funny that you were going to have a kid in, at 90, and you left about it, and it actually happened. Um, well, guess what? God told me to take him and kill him. And she said, okay, right after I get done killing you, that's what's going to happen. Now, that would not fly, am I right? That would not fly at all in any situation, let alone this child of promise that she waited all that time for. I think she would lose her temper uh, time and time again. So it would create a familial crisis. And maybe the worst of all, there's an emotional crisis because this is the pride and joy of his life. This is what he waited for. This is the thing. This is the one he loves more than anything ever. And now his faith is colliding with his affections. You ever had those problems, those times in life where you have a contradiction that seems like what God is telling you is completely different from what is really going on? The question is simply this. How do you feel about giving up the thing that you love most and have waited for the longest? The thing or the one who is the basis for your waking up in the morning and going and doing what you do every day. Abraham is facing a test of epic proportions based off a major contradiction. And the thing with this test is, it's not fair. Seems to make no sense. Anybody ever been in one of those situations, anyone? These things where it doesn't, what you're going through, it doesn't make any sense at all? Not at all? Like you've been between a rock and a hard place. Anybody ever heard that situation? Or caught in that catch-22, out on a limb, up the creek without a paddle, all those kind of things. 
I'm going to share with you the good news first, and then we're going to unpack some of this. When God allows you to go through things and it makes no sense, and you wonder, why me? Why is this? Why now? This just makes absolutely no sense. Hold on tight to that because God is getting ready to give you his name. He's getting ready to give you his compound name, and it's going to be get you ready to, to see something about God you've never, ever known or experienced in your life unless you've gone through that. To experience something from him that you've never experienced, often we have to go through these situations in life that are between a rock and a hard place. Because this is not only a problem, it's a problem with a contradiction. God doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. I, you know, I think, I was thinking, if Abraham was an NFL football coach and this happened, he would probably throw out the red challenge flag. Anyway, if you aren't a football person, what ends up happening is if there's a play now in the NFL and something goes wrong and they, they, they say something, then or a spot on the field where they put the ball or whatever, they'll throw a flag and it's a challenge flag and they stop. And what they do, they go up in the booth and somebody looks at it and a referee comes over, looks at the instant replay, comes back and they, they either go, Okay, the, after further review, the uh, ruling is overturned. If it's a bad call, if it's a good call, or they don't know, they're not sure, they say the ruling on the field stands. And then you find out whether the crowd's a home team or a not team, and they boo or they yell. All right, that's what ends up happening. So if I'm Abraham at this moment, I'm saying, whoa, whoa, whoa challenge flag, God. You said this, but this happened. You might want to rewind the tape, God, and take a look at what you said, because this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work when we have this. There must have been something that God is missing here. And I'm sure Abraham had his doubts about what kind of call God had just made on the field. Because it appears opposite in every single way. But Abraham, this patriarch of the family, this person that today three of the world's top major faiths look back to and call him Father Abraham, at this point wasn't going to be a father of anything very soon. He was to guide his family and to shepherd and to protect the ones God had given him. And now God wants him to do just the opposite. It was a defining moment, though, in Abraham's life. And, you know, I started thinking, have you ever had a moment in your life or a time in your life when God went ahead and, and asked you to give up the thing that you love the most? I mean, think about it. That, or it just, it just, it just was gone. Something that you loved the most. It could have been a job. could have been a relationship. could have been, I, I don't know, someone. It could have been something else. But and somehow something happened and it got taken from you. I mean, I, I, there's many instances that I can think of in life. Um, one was when I first got out of college and I found my, uh, the, my job in marketing and PR. I know you're all shocked that I was in marketing and PR. Um, and I went ahead and I got that job in the newspaper. I, I found it the day, uh, the Saturday after my last exam from college. And I ended up getting the job and I worked as a marketing and PR rep for a uh, corporate office of retirement homes. And I, and I loved the job, it was great. I got to go ahead and meet with um, people who were in commu retirement communities and put together a newsletter and find out great stories about them. I found that this one lady, she was awesome. She, she like flew, uh, she was part of a ladies group back in the, in the 30s and 40s that flew airplanes. She was wild and she was awesome. 
and um, found a judge who, um, who was the world's top triathlete for his age. Um, and he's still in better shape. He was in better shape then than I was now. I mean, he was just, I got to really do some awesome things and I, and I felt good. And then one day, all of a sudden, I got called into an office and, and I, I covered another job. You know, it was a nonprofit organization. So I covered a, a my, my manager, a PR manager, uh, quit, got another job. I covered her job and my job for like five months at no increased pay because it's nonprofit. I did say that. Um, and I just loved doing it because I was there. And then the next person came in, I helped train them in the job. And then right after they were set about a couple weeks in, they called me in the office and said, it's nothing that you've done. And that's not good anything after that. Um, I was the product of corporate downsizing, right? And it crushed me because I loved what I was doing, all right? There's been other times in my life where those have happened, whether it's at a church and back in United Methodist Church where they play musical chairs and move you around, that you're, you're loving a, a church and feeling like God has you called there, and all of a sudden a bishop picks you up and plops you somewhere else. And you just feel like you lost something. But I remember, I remember going home that day after I, after I got corporate downsized um, and just crushed, just weeping and crushed in the midst of that. And as I look back at that, that was a defining moment in my life. Not only because I lost something that I loved and cared about, but because God took that and ended up getting my rear in gear in order to go ahead and, get, and, and answer the call to ministry that he placed in my life a long, long time ago. And that's what started me getting in the United Methodist Candidacy Program. And it was just too late to get in that year, darn it. But God had other plans, all right, to work things in. So what I'm saying is, when those moments happen, in the midst of it, we aren't like, yay, God, this is a defining moment. This is going to be awesome. No, in those moments, we, don't, we wonder where God is because we aren't quite sure of who God is because we have this, this sense of God and what he's supposed to do. And when we're in a situation that doesn't match up, there's a contradiction, we start to wonder what is going on here. And we don't have a clue what's going on. But in the midst of that, we can, we can learn, and actually, after we go through those moments, we can find out that we can actually trust God in a crisis, and he will reveal himself in a different way. And here's the heart of the test, that when we are faced with a choice between the blessing and the blesser, what will we do? A Isaac was the blessing. Everybody with me? Isaac was the blessing. Abraham waited for a long, long time for God to open that door. And when God opens the door through a miracle pregnancy, Abraham's 100, Sarah is 90. This isn't supposed to happen. But through miraculous intervention, they get the blessing and his name is Isaac. How do I know this is the heart of the test? The blessing over the, uh, the blesser. Because God says, offer Isaac the blessing up to me, the blesser. You know what that is? You know what that's called? Worship. It's called worship. Where we take everything that we have and we offer to God. Right? Because God is the blesser who gives it to us in the first place. And when God the blesser gives us blessings, they're all his anyway. And so we have to continually offer those things up to God. The contradiction or the crisis of life always have us choosing between the blessing and the blesser. The blessing and the blesser. I loved that job more than the blessing that God had given it to me there and more than the blessings that he had planned in store for me if I would just offer that up to him in that moment. God wanted to know 
Who meant more to Abraham? Him or Isaac? The giver of the blessing or the blessing itself. Now, we've all faced it. And this is a big question. How do you worship when it hurts? How do you worship when it hurts? When you're being asked to let go of the blessing, a most valued possession of life, and choose the blesser. And it's just destroying you. You know, in those areas when we're hurting, it's hard to go to church, isn't it? At times. Sometimes it is. Sometimes people want to run there. But sometimes we may not feel, when we're going through some loss, we may not feel like going and worshiping God. We don't want to sing the Jehovah Jireh. We don't want to sing that. We don't want to clap our hands. We don't want to do anything. We don't feel like, we don't want to dance around no matter how much that, that peppy song at the beginning of the uh, service is, right? We don't feel that way because there's, the blessing that we love so much is gone or it's, it's, it's given away. And we feel like we've lost something rather than what we, we gain. And so a lot of times we just want to stay home. We want to isolate ourselves. We, want to, we get depressed. We get frustrated. We go ahead and pick up the phone and call our friends and ask opinions. Hey, what do you think about this? And this is what's happening. And the situation of things. I mean, I remember going through time and time again with friends and family about, hey, I don't know what went on. I gave, did my best. They said, it's nothing about what you did or whatever. But I still hurt in the midst of that. And God did a lot with, with me. Here I am with a, with a, as a college graduate and, and over a year I'm unemployed and getting ready to get married and having all these question marks that are here. Sometimes we fall so in love with a blessing that, the, that our, our love for the blessing exceeds our love for the blesser. It's like we're coming up on Christmas, and if you have children or grandchildren, I, I guarantee you they are beginning to ask or have been asking for a while, how many more days till Christmas? Anybody been through that? Any more days till Christmas? For millions and millions of people in 160 countries around the world, Christmas Day is a major celebration of gift-giving. Now imagine your kids wanting to be with you only because they knew that there would be a big benefit that they're going to get presents. All right, you know, hey, Dad, you know, I just want to hang out with you because I want some gifts. It's getting close to Christmas. Okay, that's what I, Mom, Mom, hey, yeah, here I am. How many more days? You're beautiful, Mom. You know, would you like me to? you know, take your shoes off for you? Or, you know, I mean, they start doing this thing. If they just care about you, how would you feel if they just cared about you or just connected with you because they wanted the presents, the gifts that you have for them? Would that, would you feel like, wow, they really love me? And after they open them all, they go, okay, so I see you, bye. As a parent, you give gifts to your children because you love them, right? And in response, you just want their unconditional love for you. God doesn't want us only to love him for his gifts. He didn't want Abraham to love him just because of the blessing of Isaac. He loves us, therefore he gives us good gifts. In James chapter 1, it says, Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of life. But God, he wants us to love him apart from his gifts. God is not a a genie or a cosmic Santa Claus. No, God loves giving from his hand as long as he knows we are really after his heart. So let's continue. Uh, verse, verse 3 and 4. Here we go. Verse 3 and 4 here. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, and a burnt offering was one that, it was, a, it was an act of worship. You would go ahead, you had a sacrifice, and you would go ahead and burn everything up on it except for the skin, and then you do that later, okay? Um, but that's, that's what you would, you would do. He set out for the place that God had told him about. All right, so here we go. Some more here. Um, so that's what he did. And then it says, on the third day, hold on to that. On the third day, Abraham looked up. And saw the place in the distance. Imagine, here's Abraham. He gets up. It took him three days to get to church. He's going to worship, right? A three-day journey to church, that's commitment. Um, he had to get to that location, but he didn't. You know, it's one of the things, Abraham didn't hesitate at all. He got up early. I mean, me, if I had something I don't want to do, I struggle to get up. What about you? You ever just like you, somebody says, hey, can you help me move? And you're like, yeah, I'll be there. What time? They say 8 o'clock and you show up like 9, you know, when they, or maybe when they're buying breakfast. All right. So we have that. Um, but notice these verbs. He rose, he got up, he saddled, he took and split and arose. He's, it's, it's immediate response. He's action. Also notice what verse 1 does not tell us. It does not tell us that Abraham, uh, what the verse 3 tells us. Abraham did not try to bargain with God. Abraham did not ask God why. Abraham did not uh, sneak a little lamb in his pocket and just in case. Um, he didn't give, doesn't give us a rundown of a debate that he has, that Abraham and God have. No, it says Abraham just got up, got going, and got to doing what God had asked him to do to get to the place of worship. So why, where did Abraham find the faith and strength to follow God so quickly in this request? Because I would not have. We find this answer in Hebrews 11, but we also um, see some other things here. In verse 5, it says, Once he got to the mountain, he told his two young men servants, he said to his servants this, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Look at what he says. We will what? We will worship. And then we will what? Excuse me, what's he supposed to do with Isaac? What's he going to drag him back and have him like, you know, weekend at Bernie's or something? Like, oh, you know, drag him along? He's supposed to do what? Sacrifice. That means kill Isaac. And here he is. He says, hey, you boys stay here. Um, we're going to go ahead. We're going to go worship God. Imagine what's going on in him when he saw where he's headed, the feelings that he might have had. He's like, but he never wavers. He says, we are going to worship God and we are going to come back to you. Where does that come from when there's this contradiction that the reason why he's there in the first place to sacrifice his son is because the God he's worshiping said, do it. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. This is so awesome. I got really excited about this and hopefully you are. By faith. Everybody say by faith. By faith, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises um, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. What were the promises? The promises are that you are going to be a father of many nations and that it's going to be through Isaac. He embraced that. He never let go of that. You got to hold on to the promises of God. And he said, yet he was going to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. There's that contradiction again. Okay. Abraham was thinking back to Genesis 22 when this is happening. All right. Now, Abraham reasoned. How did he reason? 
that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And in some of, your, some of the scriptures, it, it may say as a type, um, and we'll talk about it in a second. The writer of Hebrews is telling us what Abraham was thinking in Genesis 22. God said, kill him. Abraham says to his boys, okay, I'm going to go do what God says. I'm going to worship him. And that means he told me to sacrifice Isaac. And guess what? We're coming back. Now, this seems ridiculous. He says, I'm going to church. I'm going to worship the Lord with all my confusion, all my pain, all my hurt, all I'm going through, and with this thing that God's told me to do, and I'm trusting him that we are coming back no matter what. We are coming back. Hebrews says he was thinking that the only way for this to be fixed is for God to fix it. So I'm going to worship the blesser and trust that the blessing is still going to happen. So often we trust so much in the blessing that we lose sight of it's the blesser that brings about the blessing. And when the blessing is falling apart, or it seems like it is, it's only the blesser that can fix it. And what he says is, God, he believed that God could even raise him from the dead because God keeps his word. Now, here's the problem with that. From Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 22, there is no record of a resurrection. Not one. So where is he getting this from? The promise, the promise of Isaac. Because the only way if Isaac was still going to have kids and Abraham is going to kill him is if some way he's back alive. That's logical, correct? You agree with me? All right. Now, here is the reason, and this is scripture. Here's the reason why Abraham believed that. Because the promise of Isaac came some 20, 15 to 25 years before this time. The promise of Isaac came some 25 years before that. So we're talking 50 years previously when Sarah was hiding and she laughed that she was, when, when the angels came and they said, hey, Sarah's going to be with child. And she's like, yeah, right. And then 25 years passed and she's like, yes, yeah, still nothing. And all of a sudden, surprise. And why does she laugh? Because Sarah's womb, we're told in scripture, was dead. She couldn't have any children. She was barren. Abraham was dead too, if you know what I mean. Nothing was going to help him. And I'll tell you, this is from Scripture, from Genesis 18. In the Dewey Rhymes edition, it says, when, when they, in Genesis 18, when the angels came and gave the promise of Isaac, so we're saying 50 years from this point now, she laughed secretly saying, am I, uh, after I'm grown old and my Lord is an old man, shall I give, um, uh, shall I give myself to pleasure? That's what she's saying. She's saying, it ain't working, it ain't going to work. He ain't working, I ain't working, it ain't going to work. We ain't smart, but we know enough how kids happen. And it ain't going to work. And God said, oh, yeah, I'm going to wait 25 more years to show you I am God. I love the message version. It says, Abraham and Sarah were old by this time, very old. Sarah was far past the age for having babies. Sarah laughed within herself. An old woman like me get pregnant with this old husband of mine? (laughs) 
Oh, this old man husband. I love it. It's great. Great. So, so here we are. That's the situation. It, it was dead. That blessing was dead from the start. But God, the blesser, made the blessing happen anyway. So Abraham said, all right, I was dead before. There was no chance of him being here. So I'm going to trust in the promise, which shouldn't have even been here in the first place. And if I sacrifice him, God, you can raise him up like you did us. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, against all hope. Everybody say against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was what? As good as dead. Abraham was dead before this whole thing started. So he's like, hey, everybody's dead. Let's go with it. And then I love this. It says, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was already dead. You see, it was impossible that this happened, but the blesser brought the blessing. Abraham never saw a physical resurrection, but he saw a miracle. That's why we need to have markers in our life about what God has done in our past, those miraculous moments where God has done something. So when you face something that's bigger in the future, you have a point of reference to go back. Because him killing Isaac is bigger than he, was, he and Sarah were dead to begin with. But he could lean on that and say, I don't see what's going on here, but I'm going to trust again in the blesser that the blessing's going to happen. God when you face a problem that's bigger, God is ready to unveil himself in a larger way. That's why you can't give up on God, even if God doesn't make sense. Because you could be walking away from the greatest display of Jehovah Jireh you've ever seen. Verse, verses 7 and 8. Abe and Isaac are walking up the mountain. And Abraham's carrying his own wood for his own sacrifice. All right, And, and Isaac starts to, you know, you don't hear much... Isaac's kind of like a really passive kind of guy in the scripture. Um, and he doesn't say much, um, but it says they're walking up the mountain and he finally wakes up and goes, what's going on here? He says, it says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, um, hey, daddy, yes, son, um, the wood is here and you got the fire. Uh, we're missing something. Where's the lamb? That'd be a good question. Because every time they went to church, daddy brought a lamb for sacrifice. And it's just the two of them. And he's probably going, hmm, dad's acting a little funny. We're missing something here. All right? Where's this lamb? And listen to this moment. Abraham says this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering of my son. And that was good enough for Isaac. I'd be like, that's all well and good, Dad, but what happens if they don't? That would be my question. But he says, no, no. And that was good enough for Isaac. And he's like, and it says the two of them went on together. God put Abraham in a situation that only God could fix. Abraham couldn't fix it, couldn't solve it, only God could. And in verse 9 through 12, it says, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. And there's like this gap between here because Abraham's 125, maybe, 120, 115, 125. And then you got Isaac, who's about 15 to 25. I don't know about you, but I think I could whoop the old man. You know what I mean? So if, if my daddy came to try to go ahead and tie me up and lay me on the altar, I'd be like, there's going to be one that's going to be dead. It ain't going to be me. You know what I mean? But you know what? Just as Abraham didn't question God, Isaac didn't question his dad either. 
And it says, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out of his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Imagine that moment. Total trust in God. Confusion and everything. And then he started to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. That's a loud call out. Yo, Abraham! Abraham! Yeah, here I am. Same answer before. I've been like about stinking time, God. We went. He said, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God and have not withheld from me your, your son, your only son. Wait a minute. Now you know. Now you know. Excuse me. You are God Almighty, Lord over all things, El Elyon. You are omniscient. You are Yahweh. I am who I am. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between. I could have stayed in bed and you already knew. Why did I have to go through this three days of trip and all this stuff for you to go, oh, now I know. Because to know is to experience fully. There are people who know about God, but they haven't experienced him fully. So you don't know him. God knows everything. Informationally. But God has not experienced everything he knows. You say, is that blasphemy? No, I'm going to explain it to you. For example... I can't say, God, what does it feel like to commit a sin? Because he never has. Jesus feels the weight of my sin on a cross, but he has never committed a sin, so he doesn't understand that. By Jesus taking on my sin, he can relate and understand. That's why in Hebrews 4.15, it says that we have a high priest to sympathize with us because he could feel what it felt like. Because God hears and knows it. God hears and knows everything. Jesus came so that God could feel it and experience it. That's really good if you miss that. I'm going to say that again. God hears and knows it about everything. But Jesus came so that God could feel and experience it. It's like hearing from someone, I love you. Versus feeling and having the experience of being loved. Words may be true. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Do you know mess with somebody? A, a caller calls up, and when they, they're done, just say, hey, I love you. And they'll be like, what? I mean, you know, because it's, it's, it's there. In the, in the like Mar, men are from Mars, women from Venus thing. Remember that? A national survey of women found out that a whopping 82% of women surveyed regularly or sometimes feel insecure in their, um, in their spouses or significant others' love. Men are opposite. Men... 74% would rather feel respected than loved. So how does Jehovah Jireh come into all this? Let's look here in verses 13 through 14. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place the Lord, there's that capital Lord, which I didn't do so good in the bulletin, but the Lord, that means Yahweh, I am who I am, will provide. I am a provider. I am who I am. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
Abraham didn't, what I think this is interesting, Abraham did all this stuff, set up an altar, put the wood there, set it on, had, it, had it there, laid his son there, was getting ready to kill him and then to burn it up, and he didn't hear the ram that's caught. It's caught in the thicket. It's going, it's trying to get loose. <laughs> trying to get loose. Wouldn't you hear that? Answer is yes. You would. He didn't. He didn't hear it. He didn't, uh, he didn't hear the ram to get out of the thicket until he finished obeying God's command. So think about this. While Abraham was going through his crisis, climbing up the mountain on one side, God had Abraham's solution coming up on the mountain on the other side. He didn't see it, didn't know it, didn't feel it, but yet, and didn't recognize it at the point. But when he followed through with doing what God wanted him to do, Bam, there was the answer to God's blessing. Many of us are struggling, getting up the mountain. We're dragging behind, getting up the mountain, doing what God wants to. We refuse to fully worship him because we're struggling with the contradiction and the crisis that's in our life. And God said, you got to get up to the mountain because I got the answer to your, I got the blessing and the answer to your problem if you'll just get up there and do what I tell you to do. He was going to make a match at the perfect time. God is never early. God is never late. He's right on his time. Not mine, his time. His time, his time. So often we will never know the answer is right next to us until God reveals it. Often in trials and crisis, it's just on the other side of the mountain or it's right there with us, but we don't see it because we're, we're focusing on the crisis and we're waiting for God to reveal it. How does God reveal it? Through obedience. Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And he, and he discovered something about Jehovah that changed his life forever. He discovered Jireh. We need to discover and believe this truth and look at our circumstances. It'll help us look at our circumstances differently. And we can easily uh, miss the key to Abraham's provision. One of the things I want to share with you is Jireh. We notice it as, as provide, but it also means something else here. And I'll show you. It means to see or to provide. And you're like, well, how in the world are they synonymous? The Lord will provide. Because again, Jireh does this. So like, for instance, we say God provides, right? You ever heard of the term provision? It is a compound. pro Vision. Isn't that cool? Meaning, if I made provision for you, that means I saw something, I saw a need. I saw something that was going on in your, your, your life, and I went ahead and made a way to meet that need. There was at least 163 needs for Thanksgiving meals. And this community and the community around us saw the need, got to action, and, and didn't do it on Thanksgiving Day. We made provision for that before and lots of planning to do that to meet the need. So here's what we, so what, basically what I did is I addressed what I saw. We addressed what we saw. God knows and sees, the God who sees what we need and, and the situations that we're going to go through provides. He sees ahead what we're going to need. And he goes, he had that ram waiting there. He knew that ram was going to be there because he knew that Abraham and really Isaac needed it at the right moment. Because God saw that. And here's what we see. Prevision, which God had prevision, provides for provision. So when God saw it, and when Abraham went to the worship, and he saw that Abraham was going to worship him, he knew that 
that the answer to his prayer, the answer to his, his need was right there when he worshiped the blesser. So what did God see in Abraham that he needs to see in us in order to reveal Jehovah Jireh? We're going to go pretty quickly here. Here we go. God saw Abraham's immediate obedience. Remember in verse 3, it said, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded the donkey. He did not wait. He did not hang around. He did not go ahead and take time. He didn't go visit everybody else. Why? Because delayed obedience becomes immediate disobedience. Delayed obedience becomes immediate disobedience. Partial obedience becomes complete disobedience. If Abraham had only gone halfway to the top, he would have never finished the journey. He would have never experienced and known Jehovah Jireh. He got, we get no credit for going halfway. He got no credit for saddling the donkey, no credit for, for getting dressed, no, no uh, credit for making sure the wood was there. Why? Because delayed and partial obedience keeps us from God's provision. Second thing that God saw, God saw that he mattered more to Abraham than Isaac. Everyone has an Isaac, that thing that you want, that you cherish more than life, that thing that you, you want to release the least, you hold on to, the thing that you're holding on the tightest and just don't want to let go. Here's my question for you today. Are you willing to trust God completely with your Isaac? You see, Abraham didn't stop loving Isaac in all this. He just loved God more. Loving God means acting on what God says. It's not just about singing songs, praying prayers, hearing sermons. Many of us don't know Jehovah Jireh because God is still waiting for us to act on what he said. Even though we may not understand how it will work out. So whatever it is, what's your Isaac? Whatever you're holding on so tightly, your career, your family, your marriage, your relationship, or search for a significant other, your health, um, your finances, your search for sanity, um, your, your manhood, because that's defined by this world and that's shifting and changing. You have to let go of that in order to experience Jehovah Jireh. You have to put whatever your Isaac is on the altar, even if it doesn't make sense, because God has your best interest at heart. And you will see him provide for you when he sees that you love him above everything else. You cannot hold on to Isaac and get Jehovah Jireh. You can't do it. That's what we want to do. We want to hold on to it and have the provision from God. So let's get back to Isaac. He gets back Isaac and so much more in this. In Hebrews chapter 11, 17, remember um, when he said, uh, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive uh, him back from the dead. Or, or in a figurative sense, some of your scriptures say. Or type. It's a, for, a type is a foreshadow of something that is greater. And so let's go back to Genesis uh, 22, verses 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you 
and make, here we next, make your descendants as numerous as stars of the sky and sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have one what? Obeyed, obeyed me. God says, I'm giving you Isaac back. I'm giving you the blessing. And guess what? I'm giving you a whole heck of a lot more. That's like if that one Christmas present you wanted. Anybody ever had one of those things? You asked for something for Christmas when you're younger. You asked for that thing for Christmas. You asked for it and you got it. And then like you got a bunch of other stuff too. That Some of that other stuff was even cooler. It's like you open your presents and then your grandparents come over and you know you're getting some more good stuff. And you know um, my mom's going to give you that one envelope that has money in it. You know what I mean? You're asking for stuff. You don't, you're, you're not crass enough to go, hey, Santa, I'd like some money. No, you don't do that. But you go ahead and you know your grandparents are coming and you just can't wait because you already got in your mind what you're going to buy with that. But guess what? If, grandma never, if you never go to the place where grandma is, you ain't getting it. And the thing that Abraham and Isaac did got to the place where God was and the blessing came. He got more blessing than he thought. He got Isaac back and so, so much more. So much more. So what happened here? God saw Abraham's complete obedience and blesses immediately and generationally. It is not just for Abraham and Isaac. It is a generational blessing. All the nations of the world. And keep in mind, the world's three top faiths that we know of, uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all talk about Father Abraham because he obeyed God to the end. You okay? God says, you get Isaac back. But that's nothing compared to what I got in store for you. I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. Some of us have never had the floodgates of heaven opened because we're holding on to Isaac. We can all keep Isaac and lose everything, but when we're willing to put Isaac on the altar, we get Isaac back and we get to know Jehovah Jireh. Verses 13 to 14. It says, Abraham looked up, called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day, what does it say? On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham tells you where your provision is. Where is it? On the mountain of the Lord. Not just anywhere. Not just any place, but on the mountain of the Lord. My point is this. You must look at your Isaac situations as an opportunity to worship. When you worship over Isaac and you give him to the blesser, you say, God, I'm going to bless your name in spite of my pain. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to worship God. I'm not doing this because I feel like it. I don't think Abraham felt like this. I'm doing it to praise the blesser because it's a matter of worship. When we come to church, when we come to worship, so often we like, I don't know, I don't like that song. I don't, I don't know whether this is my style. I don't, I don't like, oh, somebody's drinking coffee in church. Oh, I don't like it. Oh my gosh, I, they got an organ. Oh, they got this instrument. Oh, they got drums. Oh, you know, we go through that because we look like we're shopping. But when we come to worship, we come for God, not us. Because we got to get over the blessings and loving the blessings and the stuff that we have. So that if we just had dirt uh, for communion bread and we just had, you know, I don't know, spit as saliva as, as whatever, that we'll still worship God. Because it's about the blessing or not the blessings that we have. This is all just stuff. And as I read scripture, every blessing that I have from God will just, moth and rust will destroy someday. 
Someday it'll be on a website or it'll be somebody's yard sale. These pants that I have, one day I'll have holes in them. And I won't wear them anymore. Or they'll be completely out of style. They might be now, who knows. But the blesser is the one who matters. He's the one who matters. He's the one who matters. Like, think about it. When your job, in your job, when your bosses want you to stay after and do some more, they, they say they want you to do that to benefit the company. Come early, leave late, come in on weekends, go beyond and above uh, and do this. Why? We want you to sacrifice for the company. And then when it comes to evaluation time, well, we saw that you sacrificed as you hope. You see, when God, what happened here is God saw Abraham's worship and then he provided. When God sees your worship, he makes your provision. It's in the mountain. It's part of your worship. It's not just doing something for God. It's not just being a good Christian. It's my celebration of God. No matter what's going on in my life, it is my constant celebration of God. And I can tell you, in my times in life, when I have struggled the most and not felt, there's been moments I haven't felt like preaching a word up here because I'm struggling in the contradiction myself. Yeah, God, you're saying this, but I'm not experiencing it. I'm not feeling it. Oh, you want me to praise your name? I'm not feeling like doing that right now. But when I do, some Something happens that the blesser is really like, yes, and the blessing comes even if it's just that he calms my heart and my mind for a short time. I may not always feel like worshiping. I may not always feel like, yeah, God's awesome. I may not always feel like that. But when I make that the point, God does something amazing. And, in, and so here's something really cool here that we see. In John chapter 8, and this is what we're going to close with today. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are condemning him, and he says this statement. I've read over it a billion times, but in the context of Jehovah Jireh, in the context of this account today, I want to close with this today. He says, out of the blue, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it, and he was glad. Jesus is claiming to be God at this moment. And he says, let me tell you how long I've been around. You think I just came in town with the Bethlehem thing? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've been around a long time. And let me tell you, Abraham saw my day and he was so happy. We were told that Abraham is walking up the mountain to Mount Moriah. Isn't that where God told him to worship? He's walking up the mountain. He's walking up the mountain. Now watch this. Mount Moriah is only a couple hundred feet away from Mount Golgotha, Mount Calvary, where Jesus gave his life on the cross for us, just a couple hundred feet away. And the scripture tells us that Abraham looked up. Remember that? Abraham was walking up the mountain and he looked up. What did he see? Abraham saw Mount Moriah and he looked over and he probably saw Calvary, saw Golgotha. Jesus says he saw my day. So he didn't only see mountains. He saw Jesus' day. What day is that? He saw that one day that God in the midst of his worship opened up and saw one day when God would enter into human history in the person of Jesus Christ and make provision for the sins of the world and reveal to us the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And by that, he becomes everybody's Jehovah Jireh, taking the sins away of the world. 
What the angel of the Lord did for Abraham. That's cool. I don't know what you call it. That's cool. Abraham got a glimpse. That's why when he's walking up, he says, hey, don't worry about the lamb because God himself will provide the lamb. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. And the angel, the angel of the Lord who did that for Abraham does it still here today through faith in Jesus Christ. Those, who I, those of us who demonstrate faith in Jesus Christ, become, God becomes our Jehovah Jireh. Just as Isaac was put on the altar 2,000 years ago and given back, Jesus, just 100 feet away, was put on the altar of the cross. Jesus was given back through the resurrection and forever, ever intercedes on behalf of you and me and believers of saints. He's in heaven right now, ready to become your Jehovah Jireh, ready to bless you immediately and generationally, ready to provide for you, ready to deliver you. And he's just waiting for you to get up out of that bed. He's waiting for you to bring your Isaac, lay them down on the altar, get ready to sacrifice your Isaac to free God up so that he can say, wait, 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 there is your blessing caught right there. I've had it for you. I just needed you to worship me. I just needed you to follow me. I just needed you to obey me. And once you do, once you do, then you can raise your eyes and I will show you Mount Calvary and all that I can do in your messed up, jacked up, broken up, confusing, contradictory, warped situations of your life. All you have to do is just bring Isaac to worship. Because Ephesians 3.20 says, For he is able to do immeasurably more than, we, than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. He is able. He is able. He is able to turn your life around, to lift you up, to empower you, to heal, to restore, to provide, because he is Jehovah Jireh. Give him something to see today. Give him some worship to see. Whether your life is falling apart, put it on the altar and say, here's my Isaac. God, do your thing. And, I, and watch Jehovah Jireh do what he wants to do, because he is who he is, and he loves you. All he just says is, give me something to see so I can pour out the floodgates of heaven. Amen? Let's worship him today. He is Jehovah Jireh. God, we just give you praise and we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. And God, many of us may not have seen this aspect of you, this Jehovah Jireh in, your, in our lives. It's not your fault. Maybe we just haven't even started a journey. Maybe we are still just focusing on, this makes absolutely no sense what you're asking me to do, God. This is completely different from what you told me to do 20 years ago. He says, yeah, 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 my, my blessing is still there. My promise is still there. But I just want to know whether you love me more than you love the blessing that I've given you. And so God, here today, we may, not, we may have started on our journey. We may have Isaac with us, but as we get closer and we see, we see Mount Moriah, we're not excited about sacrificing our Isaacs. Because we love the blessings of God. We want the blessings of God. We don't want to give up Isaac. So God, help us today to realize that when we offer Isaac up to you, 
in worship. That today is a moment where we don't have to be anything else but just be your child. To just bring all that hurt, that brokenness, that confusion, everything in our lives. We don't have to put on. We can bring those things to the altar and worship you. We need a blessing and you need to know that we love you more than the blessing. And so during this time here today, during this last song, as we sing, I pray that everybody here will be willing to put their Isaac on the altar and give to you so that we can receive that not only do you have the answer to our Isaac situations in a crisis, caught in a thicket right there that we can't see because we're too focused on the situation. But God, that in the midst of all this, that you say, oh, this is just the beginning because you obeyed me. I'm going to give generational blessings. Ones that are going to long live past you for the greatness of my name. So God, pour out your spirit on us here today in our brokenness and our hurtness and everything that we're going through. Let's receive what you have for us. And for the many gifts that you've given us already, God, we take a portion of those and the financial blessings that you've given to us to give back to you and your tithe and our offerings. Because you are Jehovah Jireh and you've provided for so much in our lives. Multiply these gifts that are coming in to further your ministry here and around the world, God. Not for us, but for Yahweh, for Jehovah, for God Almighty to be known in all the nations of the world. We will praise you and we will, we will love you in this Christmas time, a season where we celebrate Jesus coming into the world that we recognize that we can tell for the world that there is a day that we saw where Jesus gave his life up on a cross to become Jehovah Jireh for all of us, to make provision for all of our sins and all of our failings. So God, we receive that today. And if someone doesn't know you, that they'll offer their lives up to you and they'll say, hey, I know about Jesus, but I really want to know him. I want him to enter my experience and I want his experience to fill me. For those who are guests here today, we don't expect you to give, but we ask for you to just connect. The only thing we ask that you give is give your Isaac to God and just worship him like you never have before. Jesus, we love you. There's people up front in the back that'll pray. God, just, just bring your spirit here. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Heart.
give him a shout of praise. Go ahead. There you go. All right. Everybody have a great week this week. God bless. Be careful out there because those mean people that we pray for, they're out there shopping now. All right. Have a great week. God bless. And next week we'll continue the series.